Good morning, congregation, and I greet you in Jesus' precious name. Lord Jesus, as we hear your word this morning and this day and these weeks, we just invite your spirit to reset us, to direct us, to lead us, to guide us into your purposes through Christ. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart always be acceptable in your sight, my Lord and Savior and Redeemer. Amen. After a week of sharing prophetic reflections on Facebook about where we are and the meaning of what I sense God is up to, I want to share with you as a congregation a more pastoral message on how I sense God is resetting us. In doing so, I want to plead with you to stay grounded in God, no matter what President Trump says or Governor Wolf or CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or Rush Limbaugh, please first of all ask what the Lord is saying. Spend more time listening to the Lord than any of these other voices. The problem for God's people in Jeremiah's day before exile is that God says they failed to ask, where is the Lord? Even the priests, Jeremiah said, failed to ask, where is the Lord? Brothers and sisters, whatever happens and wherever we end up in all of this, Please let us not be guilty of having failed to ask, Lord, where are you? The next several weeks are critical ones for our congregation. Many congregations will be, quote, reopening, and many voices will be emerging and swirling around us and already are. And some of you may feel pressure to respond to the question of when is EMC going to reopen? I want to encourage you to lovingly and graciously Respond that our church has been open all along, but we will reassemble once we have collectively heard from the Lord what he is saying about how we reset going into his future. This approach is not about ultimately resisting the government nor taking our orders directly from the government. It is about listening to the King of Kings and the one who is writing the story that is taking us to the new heaven and new earth. It is about doing what the church is always to do, listening to the leader and the one who is our maker and creator. When we only focus on when do we reopen or how do we reopen, we only focus on those mere technicalities like where will the hand sanitizers be and will we wear masks or not wear masks or who will wear masks and how will we socially distance the pews, the chairs and so on. But these are mere technical changes that do nothing to address the deep spiritual and cultural change that God is up to at this time. Even questions about resetting, like will we continue to live stream after we reassemble, or how will we use Zoom, or will we use electronic bulletins, these are still at the technical level rather than a deep cultural and spiritual level, the adaptive level that God is up to at this time, that God is asking us to be open to at this time. John and Susan Simpkins on Sunday challenged us that confession brings freedom and releases us from bondage. This idea is so contrary to what we often believe about confession. Confession will reveal my weaknesses, we think. Confession will reveal how bad and broken I am, we say. Confession will cause other people to reject me. The reality is that it takes courage, tremendous courage, to confess. Confession actually releases us from shame and from sin, 
And typically, confession draws us closer to one another than further apart. But the kinds of sins I am talking about are more than just personal and individual sins that we so often focus on. But rather, they're the sins of the corporate church, our congregation, but the universal church that we're part of. They, they are the sins of losing our first love. It's so easy for us as a church to point out the sins of the world. But these are not ours to judge. Sin will rule now in the world. Our concern is how we have accepted and absorbed a world that made us tired. A world that kept us fragmented and disordered internally within ourselves, but also with one another. That placed ourselves at the center of the world and put Jesus on the outside. That abandoned the poor and the marginalized. White, black, brown, citizen, illegal immigrant, widow, Republican, Democrat, divorcee, married, addict, felon, gay and straight, young and old, the one who had just had an abortion and the one who had chosen to give her child up for adoption, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Jew, and on and on. Our political allegiances, our self-centeredness, our ways of always doing things have gotten in the way of sharing Christ's love with these folks, these who, like you and me, are always created in God's image and still have God's imprint upon them. We will be, and likely are being, judged for these sins as God's people were in the 6th century BC. To love people, to love people as God loves them, never means we justify their behavior or their actions. But if we don't love them first, it's unlikely that they'll ever change or see God's love in us. Again, I want to plead with you in the midst of the crisis in our country to abandon political allegiances, both right and left, that have kept us from truly asking where is the Lord and getting caught up in lots of other conversations. For a moment, please hear me. I am not saying that you should not vote or be involved in the political process, but I am pleading with you to spend as much time with God as you do getting input from your favorite channel or your news outlet, and I want to encourage you and plead with you not to filter God's word through what you hear the other voices saying, but that you filter what they are saying through God's word and what he said to you this morning. If we do not reset our engagement in the political process as a church, we will find ourselves in a day when it will be safer to be a true follower of Jesus in the world than in the church. And maybe that is what needs to happen to the church, to get us out into the world with the message that God so loved us and so loves us still. Nearly all of Jesus' last words to his disciples included the mandate that they were being sent into the world, not into the church. And they were going out like sheep among wolves. Christ never promises safety, but he assures his disciples that he will never leave them or forsake them. And he promises them his authority. He promises them his joy. And all of this he can promise because in a few days he will send the Holy Spirit to reset them for his mission. You see, the 40 days of resetting between Jesus' death and resurrection included resetting the disciples to receive the Holy Spirit and to prepare them to be reset for the mission of God by that Spirit. Reset for what? The answer occurs immediately following Pentecost, 
following the tongues of fire and the mighty wind. Reset for God's mission. Reset to tell the good news of freedom to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Reset to tell the freedom to the captive, the healing to the blind and the lame, the freedom for those oppressed. But this reset always involves ceasing from our daily activities. It involved it for them, ceasing from their daily activities as, as disciples to quarantine in a room together until the Spirit of God came to them. Without taking time to transition, without taking time for space, my concern is that we will rush back to church and, frankly, back to the things that created bondage for us and kept us from our first love, including some things in the church. That if we do not pause long enough in this transition to receive the resetting of the Spirit, a resetting that will result in a revelation of our deepest sins and confession of these, a resetting that will fully move us into God's mission, then we will have missed an opportunity to be converted to Jesus that is a rare opportunity and that we will be responsible for that. Heidi and I are so thankful for you and so fortunate to be part of a congregation that is not expressing anxiety about reopening, but is taking time to listen to the Lord. The group that prays on Tuesday and Thursday evening by Zoom, and I want to encourage you if you haven't joined us or if you had joined us and have not been part of us recently to join us Thursday night. Last night we prayed together, looked at scripture together, all about how God is calling our congregation to reset. This group is a critical group that no matter how many are there, undergirds this time of resetting, undergirds it in prayer. This month of prayer in May is important in undergirding what the Spirit wants to do in resetting us in the months to come. I have also asked that you complete the resetting questionnaire during this time in your time with God, because as a ministry team and board, we value your input into what God is saying to us about resetting. Over the next several weeks, the ministry team and the board will review prayerfully what you share with us as we consider steps about resetting as a congregation and responding to what we hear the Spirit of God saying to us. I want to thank you for participating in this process prayerfully. I want to thank you for trusting your leaders in the congregation as we trust God and our chief leader together. I'm also really grateful for Paul Swanger, Minister of Outreach, who has heard the Lord during this time, continuing to call the congregation to engage in some kind of outreach this summer. As this develops further, we will let you know. Whatever we do will no longer be called Lunch in the Park. Paul reminded Susan Hostetler and me in a Zoom meeting this week as we reflected on next steps for the summer outreach that it's time to reset even Lunch in the Park. Whatever the outreach, Paul will lead it and will invite others to join, of course. We'll let you know as this develops and pray for Paul as he discerns what God's saying and as he reaches out to others in the community to discern and to hear the kinds of outreach they're doing. I'm thankful for a minister of outreach whose focus and passion are for those on the margins and for those that Jesus chose to hang out with. Ron Wenger, several weeks ago in a text, shared his sense that we are the church of Laodicea, whom God wants to make into his pure and spotless bride, and I couldn't agree more. 
In fact, Steve Weaver, Bishop Weaver from Lancaster Conference, will deliver a word to Lancaster Conference churches this morning, a pre-recorded word that I'll make sure you get, in which he says the very same thing. In Revelation 3, Jesus says this to the church at Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put in your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Be earnest and reset, Jesus is saying to us. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I don't think we could say it any better, of course that the church of Laodicea was being called to reset, and that there was hope for the church of Laodicea. In fact, I think of all of the passages to the seven churches, this is the most compassionate one. This is the most comforting one, perhaps because I identify with this church so much. But Jesus is not abandoning this church at this point. He is warning them that they will be spit out of his mouth if they remain lukewarm, but in the meantime, he says, I'm standing at the door. And by the way, I have great gifts to offer you. I have salve. I have new clothes. I have real gold to offer you. Jesus is having compassion on the church of Laodicea. Behold, he says, I stand at your door. And I'm knocking. I'm waiting. Just open up. I have always heard this passage with, with a sense of condemnation but not anymore. Instead, I hear an incredibly compassionate Savior giving us a warning that if we hear and respond, he will yet save us. In the book of Jeremiah, God is heard saying that if just one person would turn back to him in the city, he would save the city. Who of us is that one person? Who of us will allow ourselves to be reset by the Spirit in this time? Who of us will listen and ask, where is the Lord? Who of us will repent of the lives that took us further from God than closer to God? C.S. Lewis suggests that despite Christ's offer of life, some of us, even if we were given the chance of life after death and in the midst of hell, would still choose hell over death because we've done so all of our lives. It's what we've become accustomed to. I'm convinced that over the past 70 years, we have become we have become comfortable in a world that has also at the same time been destroying us. We have become so comfortable 
with some parts of what really were hell that we forgot they were hell all along and we forgot what heaven offered. C.S. Lewis says, we've been messing around, playing in the mud, making mud pies, when all of God's glory awaits us. This COVID-19 crisis has come at a time in part to give us the chance once again to choose heaven. Inevitably, some will remain in hell. Like us, I'm not sure that the Laodicean church really understood how wretched and blind and naked and pitiful and poor they had become. I suspect like us, they simply began to absorb the culture around them. That culture that I keep saying is like fog that just enters our cells, our pores, without us really being aware of it. And we become accustomed to living in a dimness, a fogginess. Our parents did it. Our grandparents did. We're born into a foggy world and we just assume it's always foggy. We don't understand that there is salve to clear up the fog. Like us, I'm not sure, as I've said, that the Laodicean church understood just how wretched and blind and naked and pitiful and poor they had become. I suspect, like us, they simply began to absorb the culture around them, generation after generation, until their sin became normal and taken for granted and accepted. Their acquiring of wealth so that they did not need a thing. They, slowly losing their, they, they were slowly losing their eyesight so that they'd lost sight of he who is invisible. They wore clothes that they had lost any shame in revealing themselves. But rather than spitting them out yet, Jesus waits for them to reset, to turn back to him. He offers them true gold, new clothes, and a cure for their sick eyes and dim eyes. And then in an invitation given only to this one church, this backslidden, lukewarm church, the one in the worst shape of all the seven, he assures them that he waits still at the door, offering, knocking, waiting for us to open so that he can come in and sit down and eat with us. And when Jesus eats with us, as the two on the way to Emmaus found out, we always see the truth. But we have to eat with Jesus. We have to spend time with Jesus. We can't pretend to see the truth and know the truth and understand the truth unless we are in the presence of Jesus. If we are listening to all of the voices swirling around us in this crisis and we're not spending time with Jesus, I'm telling you, we're not going to hear Jesus. Because we're absorbing the other voices and we're listening to Jesus through them, or what we think is Jesus, rather than hearing them through the words of Jesus. Part of the problem with the lives we lived before COVID-19 was that they didn't give us enough time to slow down or to step back from our lives far enough to just see how far we had fallen, to see how much we had embraced the beliefs, the values, and the assumptions of the world and even the broader church. Now, by God's grace and his mercy, we have been given that chance and rather, and the rather frightening thing is that it might be the last chance we ever get in our lifetimes. It might be the last chance we get before we go flying out of Jesus' mouth, only to find that the world we had loved doesn't love us back. That the world we embraced for what we thought was life was only death masquerading as life. And that in being spit out into the world, we and the generations to come will disappear into that world. 
Folks, I think it is that serious. If my people who are called by my name, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I said several Sundays ago, I have always heard this as a condemnation, as condemnation, as a word from the Lord of judgment. It is a word from the Lord of life. It is a word from the Lord of invitation to life, of healing our land, of forgiving our sins, of hearing from heaven. Again, I want to plead with you to look both personally but also corporately at the way we have um, lived in ways that are that miss the mark, that miss the life that God had for us. Resetting involves confession and turning in a new direction. Only the Holy Spirit who came at Pentecost and who is knocking at the door of our heart and the heart of our church can do this work. All we have to do is open the door. All we have to do is surrender and invite him in. And I can hear perhaps someone saying, but I did that. I did that when I was three. I did that when I was 10. I did that when I was 15. Folks, this is an opening of the door every day. This is an opening of the door every day and saying, on this day, Lord Jesus, will you reset me? Because there are things that I fell short yesterday. Will you reset me today? Will you renew me today? I repent of yesterday and I receive your mercy for today. This opening of the door to Jesus is an ongoing, everyday life experience. It is an eating with him every day. It's part of why I have so encouraged you to spend time with God. Because he's there. It's we who are not at the table too often. I've said this before, but when we do surveys of Christians, church-going Christians, we tend to find that about 3 out of 10 spend daily time with God. Folks, that's not enough to sustain us. In ordinary times, let alone these, these extraordinary times, if you have not been practicing a life with God, I want to encourage you to take 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour, and know that when you spend that time, you are meeting the king of the universe who is just so happy that you show up, that you are meeting God there. That when you get there, he's already there waiting for you. I mean, this is better than anything else we can do. In a time of social isolation, when we can't come face to face with other people, we can always meet the living God. And we don't even have to have a mask on. And we don't have to socially distance. I want to plead with you again, as I have in the past. Take some time to read the Psalm of the Week. Or take some time to read through these incredible passages that Josh and Janelle are giving to us. Take some time during the month of May as these emails come through with specific prayer requests to just pray those prayers. Prayer is also more than just asking the Lord. Prayer is sometimes just sitting with the Lord. Sometimes Heidi and I will have questions and we'll just say, let's sit with those questions for a day with the Lord. Let's just present the question to the Lord and know that he has direction for us. Know that he has a pathway for us. One of the remarkable things to me is how God has prepared this congregation 
for this time. The way God prepared us with the ministry structure we have, a board that is healthy and functioning and trusting one another and moving together, and the way God prepared us through his word and worship, that we were leaving one side of the Jordan for the other. That this may not feel like the promised land to us, but remember I said it's not always going to. Going to the promised land doesn't mean there's not going to be work for us to do. In fact, there's probably more work in the promised land than there was on the, in the wilderness. Because we could wander in the wilderness. We could just walk around and eat manna and quail and chat with one another. But in the promised land, there is new work to do. There is resetting work to do. There is excavation work to do. There are mountains to lower and valleys to raise, rough places to make plain, crooked places to make straight. Folks, if this feels like work to us, it is work, but it's heavenly work. It's glorious work because it's preparing the road to Zion. Resetting our lives corporately and individually involves confession and turning in a new direction. Only the Holy Spirit who came at Pentecost and who is knocking at the door of your heart and my heart and the heart of our church and the heart of the church universal can do this work. All we have to do is surrender, invite him, and invite him in today. Lord Jesus, enter my life anew today, or for the first time today, for the first time ever enter my life. Reset me in the ways I need to be reset, no matter what you do. No matter what you must do, whatever you must do to reset me, do it. Because the pain of being reset in this moment, the cost of being reset in this moment is nothing compared to the cost and pain we will experience if we are spit out of his mouth into the world, alienated from Jesus forever. But folks, the good news that Jesus leaves with the church at Laodicea is for those who are victorious, for those who are victorious, they will sit down with the Father on his throne. For those who are victorious. Victory, folks, is our destiny. Victory, not damnation, is our destiny. The new heaven and new earth, not hell, are the destiny of those who will allow themselves to be reset, to confess, to repent, and to get on with the mission of God in new ways. I just want to thank you for being sheep who are willing to be led by your shepherds, who are following the chief shepherd. May God help us and have mercy on us. For those of you who are interested, we'll discuss this message and these questions of resetting that I've been reflecting on for the last two weeks, tonight at 7 o'clock on Zoom. I'm going to attach this document, this message, in an email to you in a few moments. I will also attach with that the video link uh, of this uh, message. And we will also put this on podcast um, and YouTube. Um, I'm both recording this now by video and also uh, audio recording so that we can do that. I want to encourage you. To spend time with God and to ask the question, where is the Lord in all of this? Thank you.